Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I got an A star in drama though, so. Ooh, sorry, what? I got an A star in drama. <laughs> I want to hear about this A star in drama and then we'll start the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That was it, basically. I got an A star in drama. <laughs> That's I, it. I was, a, I was a promising young thesp. But, Were you uh, really? Yeah, well, apparently so, yeah, yeah. Is this where you met your other half? No, no. Okay. No. You didn't impress her with your drama skills, no? No, I often like to tease her now and say that if I wanted to, I probably could have done that and and done better than her, but I didn't (laughs) want to, so, yeah, yeah. She doesn't like it, surprisingly. Does she listen to the podcast? She does, yeah. Oh, we'll make sure to keep that bit in there. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, enough of that. Joining me, Ian McCourt, on today's One Football Podcast is Dan Burke. Hello. And Nick McKenna-Klein. Hello. Should you wish to get in touch, the email to send your love, abuse or questions to is podcast at onefootball.com or should you wish, you can get onto iTunes, give the pod a rating and leave a comment to let us know how you think we are doing. First of all, we need to start off this week's podcast with not one, but two apologies. First of all, sorry for not being around last week. Life just sort of got in the way uh, for that. Second of all, I need to apologise to Andrea Pirlo. Why? Well, last week, myself and two of the lads on the desk were making our top teams of the last 20 years. Amy. And I left out Andrea Pirlo. <laughs> Ooh. And if any of my friends are listening, they will know that I have been his number one fan for a long time now. And I genuinely feel a pang of guilt. <laughs> As you ab- should. About this. In fact, it started off with us listing our top 10 players of the last 20 years or, you know, or so. I didn't even include him on that. So once again, if you're listening, Andrea, <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you reckon that's what prompted him to retire? He was just <laughs> like, that's, that's it then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if I didn't make Ian McCord's team, yeah. there's no points. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Did you want to hear the team I picked? Why not? Could it be any good team without Andrea Pula? Well, I'll tell you the team. All right. Schmeichel and goal. Huh. Yeah. Okay, no. Danny, yeah. Did you want to say no? No, no, it's fine. fine. Danny Alves, Cannavaro, Maldini and Roberto Carlos across the back. I think that's a pretty solid. Now this is where, this is Iniesta, Xavi, Busquets. I just went the full Barcelona whole hog there. It's a bit much, is it? You're you're looking at me like you're eating a lemon. Mm. (laughs) I think you could have dropped Busquets for starters. I mean, I I can understand the whole Xavi, Iniesta thing, but... The Busquets thing doesn't make sense to you? Not when you could have had Pirlo. I mean, of course, it wouldn't make much sense, but wait, it's your team. Yeah. You can do what you want. I can do what I want. And up front was the two Ronaldos, the real one and the Cristiano one, and Lionel Messi. Mm -hmm. So I guess I should apologize also to Zinedine Zidane, Roy Keane, David Beckham, Dennis Bergkamp. Sean Goater. Sean Goater. (laughs) Dennis Irwin. Yeah. Dennis Irwin, one of the greatest fullbacks I've ever seen. Anyway, the list goes on. Uh, if you fancy sending in your top team of the last 20 years or so, and maybe the lads might have a think about that, podcast at onefootball.com is where you want to aim that for. Anyway, back to Pirlo. 755 club games, 116 senior caps, 86 goals, 17 trophies, one stunning beard. <laughs> and with that, he was gone. He's off. <laughs> So he didn't make it into my team, but lads, what do you think? Will he be remembered as one of the best midfielders of all time? Definitely of this generation, I think. Yeah, yeah. 
um, for that beard alone, perhaps. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was. He's a very classy player, wasn't he? And it was a bit of a shame to see him in his latter years at New York City, just kind of ambling around the pitch, really. And um, I, I was actually a little bit surprised when I heard that he'd retired because I kind of thought that he already had. Not, not, <laughs> not like you know, in a jokey way that like, oh, he's gone to the MLS, he's retired. Like I thought, I thought he had about six months ago or something like that. I, okay. I'd just forgotten about it. So his time in the MLS sort of looked to me like a like a dog who's lost his owner. And it's just sort of wandering around aimlessly. It doesn't quite know what to do with life. <laughs> I just think he wasn't ready to give up, was he really? He just wanted to keep going. But now he finally has given into the fact that he can't keep playing. His body's not what it used to be. It takes time sometimes. It does. And it's something that will catch up with all of us. That's <laughs> what I would say. Anyone have a particular favourite memory they would like to share with us of Andrea Pirlo? Other than the fact when he actually grew the beard, because of course before that he was just a normal Italian with long hair. <laughs> He was. Yeah, that's when the style the style came in. Um, there's so many things about Pirlo. It was this. It was the skills, turning on the ball, leaving defenders on their ass. It was that was his free kicks when he'd he'd already wheel away before the ball across the line. But my moment for Pirlo was the first time I actually really noticed him as a player. And that was at the World Cup 2006, mm. 118th minute, of the semi final against Germany. Mm. Pressures on. Was he danced around the 16 yard line, passes the ball through to Grosso and. Italy go 1-0 up and eventually win 2-0 in extra time. And that was just insane. And then he was pretty good in the final as well. But that was the first time I really noticed him as a player. And that's when I really watched him in other games and saw how he played and what he did. And that was, the, but 2006 was the first time and probably the most important PLO moment for me. If you had asked me what was my favourite moment in the history of football, that pass. Yeah. He, first of all, the ball comes to him at a very awkward height and he manages to control it perfectly. Mm. Well done. Second of all, it's the weight. A, a, a far uh, a player with a player without his sort of powers of vision and passing would have gone earlier with that. But he managed to hold on and then hold on and then precisely put it just where Grosso needed it. Past four German defenders. Might I add, I mean, that's I like, which which one forgets what was in between him and Grosso was four German defenders. I looked at the goal again this morning, actually, and. The positioning was bad by the German defence. Yes, it was. But they were there. But they were there. <laughs> they were there. <laughs> yeah, they were there. Dan? Um, even as an Englishman, I have to say, him absolutely seeing off Joe Hart in that penalty shootout <laughs> oh. at the uh, Euro 2012 was fantastic, wasn't it? Joe Hart was giving all his, trying to psych him out and Pirlo just penenkered him out of the out of the game. Didn't Pirlo say after that that if Joe Hart was doing all sorts of nonsense on the line, so I decided that while I kicked the ball, it wasn't as if he was going to do it beforehand. It was yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, he made it, yeah, he made his mind up going down. That yeah. is true. Uh, I'm surprised none of you mentioned the part where he wore the T-shirt saying, no Pirlo, no party. <laughs> I only saw that yesterday, actually. That yeah, is yeah. great, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I think there's a direct correlation between that penalty and Joe Hart's career going down the toilet. Yeah, you might well be right, yeah. I, he was never quite the same after <laughs> that. Anyway, speaking of retiring, if I were Mohamed Salah, I'd give up now. It's not going to get any better, is it? Possibly not, no, no. What uh, did he do last night for those? Of course, referring to his 95th minute uh, penalty <laughs> against Congo for Egypt, which sent Egypt to their first World Cup for 28 years. 1990 was the last World Cup that Egypt featured that, which I couldn't believe that start when I heard it. Um, bizarrely, in that time, they've won four African Cup of Nations, but not been able to qualify for a World Cup. Um, four of the teams that they played against at the 1990 World Cup that those countries no longer exist. What? Yeah. You mean no, four so, teams at the World Cup no longer exist? Not uh, played against. Well, the actual, like Yugoslavia would have <clears throat> yeah. been there, wouldn't they? West Germany. 
Yeah, but uh, Egypt didn't play against them at, the, at that particular because uh, uh, that would be crazy. No, at that actual World oh, okay. Cup, yeah, yeah, just at the World Cup in, in itself. Um, the, the goalkeeper, uh, Egypt's goalkeeper, Essam Al-Hadari, uh, is 44 years old. He made his debut, international debut in 1996 and he's never played at a World Cup before. So I'm happy for him more than anybody, I think. <laughs> I don't know, did you see any of the videos from the streets of Egypt? I didn't see the streets of Egypt. I read your article last night, Dan, mm-hmm. saw the, the, the tweet that you had in, embedded in there. And that's just the commentary. Yeah, I mean, they were going crazy. crazy in the stadium, weren't they? Yeah, My so. particular favourite video is of this, uh, I would say, man in well into his 60s, I would say, who wasn't able to breathe because he was because of Salah's penalty. I mean, fair play to him. 95th minute, holds his nerve and plants a fantastic penalty. Mm, mm. It really was good. I'm probably, except for producer Damo, the only one in this room who remembers 1990. <laughs> and I remember, yes, I'm getting the thumbs up from Damo. Yeah. Uh, I, Ireland played Egypt in the group stages at that World Cup, a nil all draw, and it was the worst game I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Probably the worst game that the World Cup has ever seen. Sorry, what were the four, what were the four countries? I no can't remember. Yugoslavia was one. Must West, West Germany was one. Um, Soviet Union? Could have been, yeah. yeah. Soviet Union? Yeah. Podcast at onefootball.com if you know more than us about this. Okay. Speaking of giving up, the Netherlands. <laughs> yeah. Oi. Yeah? Yeah. Well, it's not looking good, is it? It's not, barring a, uh, a major miracle. They're set to miss out on the second consecutive uh, major tournament. Um, there was a sort of tragicomic element to it in that they went into their penultimate game against Belarus, uh, knowing that they just needed to match Sweden's results. Um, they play Sweden in uh, Amsterdam tomorrow night. Um, and they just need to match Sweden's result and they could go into to that game as a kind of showdown for the final uh, the playoff spot in, in that group. Um, and the Dutch coach Dick Advocaat was asked in a press conference by a journalist. He said, "Well, aren't you worried that Sweden will be? Um, who did Sweden play this week? Luxembourg. Luxembourg, of course. Yeah. He said, aren't you worried Sweden will, will beat Luxembourg like eight 0 or something?" And Dick Advocaat was said, "What a stupid question that is. No, they're not going to win eight 0 Don't be stupid." <laughs> of course, what happened next? Sweden beat Luxembourg eight 0 So Netherlands now need to beat Sweden by seven clear goals uh, when they meet on Tuesday evening. Um, this isn't going to happen, no. I, I mean, it's uh, the sort of malaise that's plagued Dutch football for the past few years. It's just, mm. it's just continuing. And you look at the squad that they've got there. I mean, um, the, the best players are all in the sort of early 30s now, likes of Arjen Robben. Uh, Wesley Schneider didn't even get called up for this round of fixtures. Robin van Persie got recalled recently but was injured. The most surprising one that I saw on the Dutch team sheet the other night was Ryan Barbel. Uh, he's doing, he's well, out. He's doing well out in Turkey. Well... Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but it just kind of shows you the sort of level that yeah, the Dutch football is now that he's getting called up and and starting games for them. So, um, yeah, it's really really quite depressing. Although I would, you know, Dick Avocat, I can understand why you said that Sweden wouldn't win eight nils because after all, Luxembourg did draw nil nil against France last month. Yeah, so I mean, you wouldn't true, expect yeah, that yeah. same team to get bollocked eight nil by Sweden. It was just why would you think that? So mm. I can understand why he was, you know. Is bollock? Is that the technical term? <laughs> That's my technical term. <laughs> you can buy my dictionary at selected stores. So yeah, Netherlands, not good. No, not um, good I mean this sort of. Uh, I read over the weekend that they've they've released this uh, sort of blueprint recently, the KVMB, um, called Winners of Tomorrow, which is a kind of. A, a document that is the the aim of how they're going to get Dutch football back on track and it's about how they need to re-establish a winning mentality and all this kind of thing. Um, but I, re- I read somebody else saying over the weekend that perhaps they need to stray from Dutch coaches now. Um, mm. You know, they've, they've had 
um, Dutch coaches pretty much throughout their history as a, a national team and um, you know Dick Advocat at the moment has not done a great job no will po- po- probably lose his job after this campaign so but that's, that's an interesting fact I mean Advocat's 70 and it just that, that manager job he's the third time he's had that position mm. and it's just a merry-go-round it's the same people taking over the job again and again it has been since the mid-90s yeah. there's no fresh impetus there's no there's no there's no new coaches except for maybe if Peter Bosch came along at some point as a Netherlands coach but he's more he plays more of a German type of football. Then maybe something you might see you might see yeah. some sort of improvement in the Dutch side. But it's the same people doing the same job. They've all grown up together. So let's say Van Gaal, if De Boer came in, Van Gaal was De Boer's coach. They've all got the same. They're all the same. It's just mm-hmm. different names, and that's yeah. why there's no change. And the Dutch football isn't what it was twenty years ago. Do you know who's been uh, murdered as the next Dutch coach? Yes, Ruud Hollet. Ruud yeah. Hollet. Yeah, I read that. That is again like ridiculous. Like he was. Why? What what has he what has he done to achieve that job? That he was a good no, footballer. Nothing, and, and it's exactly the point that you're making, Nick. Is that it's an old boys club. They keep giving each other the same jobs. Dutch football doesn't progress. For once, it was at one stage it was the most intelligent football in the entire world, and that's why they dominated how they did. But they've really lost it, and it's sad to see. Mm. It is very sad to see. On a more positive note, Syria. Mm. They could qualify. No, they the, couldn't qualify. <clears throat> well, they could reach the next playoff round. Um, uh, they, they got a late equaliser against Australia uh, in the first leg of the uh, playoff mm-hmm. uh, a couple of days ago, and they play in Sydney on uh, Tuesday Tuesday morning our time. It is um, to see if they'll they'll go into the the one final playoff before the the uh, the big event, the, which could be against USA. Uh, it's it's looking unlikely. Um, I think at the moment um, it's looking like either uh, Honduras or Panama is like Ooh. is their likely opponent. Should they get past Australia, which is you know it's still pretty unlikely, but um, but but even the fact they managed that one all draw the other day was was quite incredible, and it was Omar Al Samar who who also scored the equaliser against Iran uh, to get them this far, who um, scored the equaliser against Australia. So good luck to him, and good luck to. One of the teams in the big game, arguably the biggest game in world football, this evening in Cardiff, where <laughs> Wales take on Ireland. There's not much we can say about this because if we do, people listening to the pod, it'll be pretty dated. But one thing I would like to point out is Martin O'Neill getting a new contract before the end of qualification. Ireland's very good at handing out contracts like this. <laughs> Many would have you believe it was a success under him in Keenum. You know, he qualified for the, the last Euros, made it out of the group. But I don't know if either of you have seen Ireland's football this year. It's pretty target. And other than 2016, little signs of general progress, no development of style. The contrast with, say, Northern Ireland, who've clearly got an identity now and who are progressing brilliantly under O'Neill. They've got the playoff spot, despite not, say, having the calibre of the players that Ireland has uh, uh, available to them. Odd. Odd that he would get that deal. Meanwhile, in South America, it's all action, Dan. For those who missed out what happened with the last round of matches, maybe you could sum it up for them? Yeah, I mean, well, the big one is uh, is obviously Argentina. Mm. Um, they stand to miss out on their first World Cup since 1970. Uh, they drew nil-nil with Peru um, in what was a crucial game at La Bombonera in Buenos Aires. Um, 
they missed some pretty good chances, I must say, yeah. but but generally didn't look great at all as they haven't done uh, in this whole qualifying campaign the, the, without a winning four matches now. Uh, I think they've only won two in the whole campaign, scored only 16 goals. Um, just 16 goals? Just 16 goals, yeah. And it just, you know, it's, it's staggering, you know, the talent that they have at their disposal. Lionel Messi, Paolo Dybala, Sergio Aguero, Angel Di Maria, players like that, and they just can't function together. This, yeah. I don't know whether it's a question of the, the sort of pressure of the nation getting to them or mm. they've not quite adapted to St. Pauli's tactics yet or, or whatever but I mean there's been talk I think Dybala said it himself that him, he doesn't think him and Messi can play together mm. I mean, we've both so. been to Argentina they are they're intense when it comes oh, to yeah, the team oh yeah big time yeah yeah, I mean, I played five aside in Argentina, and that was intense enough. So you know, imagine <laughs> what it's like for for the actual national football team. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, they're going into this final round of uh, games now. Um, Brazil play Chile. Uh, Brazil are already qualified. Mm. Um, Argentina are playing Ecuador. Ecuador, correct? Yeah, away, away. I mean, that's going to be a, a, a real problem for them, um, given the altitude. Um, Ecuador is two thousand eight hundred meters above uh, sea level. Um, in Quito, where they're playing, um, they, they often struggle at, at altitude. Argentina against mm. Bolivia, in particular, is a real bad place to go for them. And actually, Brazil played in Bolivia last week, and Neymar described the conditions as inhuman mm. that they were made to play in. So, you know, they, they all needed oxygen tanks afterwards. Did that's right. Yeah. Mm. So the Argentine team are going to face a similar problem uh, when they when they play in Ecuador, which is going to be a really really tough game for them. Uh, Colombia are another one who uh, are at risk of missing out. Um, they were cruising to victory against Paraguay uh, before Paraguay scored two late goals, um, which which kind of opened the door for Argentina actually. So they the, the sort of their fate is in their hands again now. They need they just need a win against Ecuador in there. Uh, the, so what would a win do for them? They'd be in the playoffs. Uh, oh, a least. win would only get them to the playoffs. Uh, it, it, there are various permutations. They can either go in automatically. Um, or based on what happens elsewhere, they'll go into the playoffs against New Zealand, which, you know, oh. even Argentina, given their struggles, you'd fancy them to beat New Zealand. I give us three a shout against New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry, New Zealand. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, it's all to play for in that one. And um, th- there is there is a very realistic possibility that we could be seeing uh, a World Cup without Lionel Messi or Alexis Sanchez and players of that calibre. Well, let's come back to that in a second. What's going to happen? But if you kind of tie a, a, a handkerchief around your head and stare into a crystal ball, what do you think will happen? I think Argentina are going to miss out. I, I just I don't have any faith in them whatsoever. Um, I think if they were going to really sort of pull something out of the bag, um, it would have been against Peru in, in La Bombonera. You know, they moved the they moved uh, to that stadium. They usually play at uh, El Monumental, River Plate Stadium, and they moved to La Bombonera because they were expecting a better atmosphere. You know, the fans are closer to the pitch there, and they thought it would really intimidate Peru. And it just didn't work. And if they can't win in those conditions, then how are they going to win away in Ecuador mm. when they really need to do it? It's I, I don't have a lot of hope for them, unfortunately. Okay, a World Cup without Argentina, Nick. I can imagine it happening as well. I mean, especially with them playing away at that altitude, as Dan said, that's going to be the big problem. And they really should have got, well, they should have won against Peru the other day. Um, looking at the table at the moment, you've got Uruguay in second, who could in theory still drop down to the playoff spot. Uh, you've got Chile, Colombia, Peru, Argentina, and Paraguay, the only other teams who could in theory qualify. Uh, but I don't see the table moving much. I mean, I think Chile are in a good position, uh, although they have a tough game against Brazil. Um, Peru and Colombia could knock each other out depending on who gets gets the most points from that game um, so yeah I mean I think we'll next summer we'll be seeing Brazil Uruguay maybe Colombia and Peru how about that that's 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 my those are my four teams that would be interesting wouldn't it yeah, yeah. and probably a fifth team I mean I'm, I'm not a big fan of this whole four and a half places for Commonwealth uh, teams I think there's only ten South American 
countries, mm. why they should get four and a half places makes no absolutely no sense to me. But we'll probably see uh, five five teams there next year. Potentially a World Cup without Leo Messi. It happens. People, you know, bigger players have missed the World Cup. What's the point? I don't know we can all stay at home. And would it, would that be his last World Cup as well? You think he's thirty now? I mean, maybe he'll he'll still be kicking around at the thirty four, but he might. The way things are going, Argentina might not get to that one either. So no. you, know, you never know, do you? Not at all. You can maybe try and win another Copa America. Yeah. Has he actually ever won it? I think because I mean it's been Chile so often the last couple of years you lose track. Yeah, yeah. I'm not Must honestly have won not won. sure. Yeah. I don't think he has. That's oh again. Uh oh. Podcast.onefootball.com. <laughs> you know more about the game than us. Anyway, that's a lot of international talk that we've got through. So why don't we? turn away and talk about something a bit more domestic and the goings on at Bayern. So lucky that we have you here, Nick. Should we start at the beginning? Because we, we've not really had a chance to discuss it all. All Carlo this Carlo Ancelotti. Ancelotti stuff. Were Bayern right to let Ancelotti go? I don't think so. I'm not a big fan of getting rid of the coach that early on in the season. Really? Yeah. Despite, despite them having no shape, despite the players maybe having lost the dressing room... I'm more of a fan of the players need to get used to the fact that I mean none of us would be able to go out into the media not that we would do and say anything about our bosses and you know say that be angry about what's going on that the training's not good enough that not you know he doesn't know what kind of as Muller said he doesn't know what expertise the coach wants but apparently they're not they're not mine I mean you can't do that and so. Maybe it was the right decision to get rid of Ancelotti because he doesn't seem to fit into Bayern's frame. They're very rigid when it comes to the coaches they have. But on the other hand, I think the players have far too much power. And that's why I would have just kept him just to, just to teach the players a lesson. Because you can't have these players being so difficult. I mean, it's easy to sack a coach because only one person rather than getting rid of five players or six players or seven players who aren't performing on the pitch. But in the end, it's the players which need to perform out there, and if they can't, if they can't be bothered just because they don't like the coach. And I'm sorry that they shouldn't be at the club. And that's that's. But I'm very conservative when it comes to that. My wife did ask me the other day, why don't they sack the players instead of the coach? <laughs> well, I, sometimes I think that it would be better. Yeah. And to be perfectly honest, we know which players were being difficult. Well, that's, that's that's it. Who were the five players who were supposedly against them? Can we name names? We can. In th- we can sort of name names. I mean, none of this has been confirmed. It's Ribéry and Robin. Um, you know, that's 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 for sure. I you think just obvious, the way it's obvious that Robin had a problem with him. And yeah, look at Ribéry. Look at, Ribéry, look at Ribéry yeah. against Anderlecht. He got subbed in the 70th minute and threw his threw his jersey at the subs bench. And then, I mean, he's always been very vocal. And Hunes has even said every time that last season uh, Ancelotti subbed Ribéry in the 70th, 80th minute, he would call Hunes that evening and say, "I'm leaving the club. I've had enough." So he's a he's a he's wow. a diva, sure. and joining that group is Muller, as, as I said beforehand, with with his expertise and and not knowing where in what formation or where he fits into Ancelotti's plans. Another one was Lewandowski, who criticized. Oh, really? Well, from reportedly. what we can tell, reportedly, reportedly, yeah. he criticized Bayern's transfer policy. Another one's supposed to be Mats Hummels, but he's come out and uh, denied that. And uh, the fifth should, could have been uh, Jerome Boateng, but he's also been not been particularly vocal the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Okay, well, what I mean, and then what happened after that? Then there, was there talks with Tuchel? There's, there was talks with Tuchel. There was talks. Um, I'm sure there was definitely talks with Nagelsmann, but that's probably more for something for next season. Uh, it was very. We'll, clear we'll come back that, to that one in exactly. a bit. Yeah. But Tuchel, 
I don't know how far those talks got, but I don't think it would have fit into the into, into Bayern itself because I mean they had problems with Guardiola when when he left the club because they couldn't deal with his ego. And to be perfectly honest, Tuchel isn't particularly different from a Guardiola. The only difference is he hasn't been the, the game as long. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's I think why he wouldn't he wouldn't have taken over the club even though he is available. The guy they've got in now, Hope Heinkers, who they've now taken out of retirement and probably should have stayed in retirement. Judging by, I was, you asked me beforehand if I watched some of the of the uh, his press conference today. I saw some snippets of it. Damn, he's slow. It's just, I mean, he the way he speaks is he just sounds like a pensioner. I mean, nothing against that. I mean, the man's seventy. What is he? Seventy two. Um, well, he is a pensioner. Yeah, he is a pensioner. He's <laughs> yeah. seventy two, and his two coaches he's getting in right. Hermann Gerland. And the other guy is Peter Hammond, combined age of 200. <laughs> 200. The four of us in here just get over about, what, 120 odd, I'd say? Well, yeah. demo. Yeah. Right. Oh. <laughs> it's, no, I'm not even listening. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. It's insane. But it's, it's just typical buy-in to bring in a former coach who's done well. They, they, they can't deal. This club has forgotten how to deal with defeat and how to deal with doing badly and they think they think just by bringing in a coach for three quarters of a season it's going to at least get them into the Champions League next year they, they won't win the league I can't imagine them this season this season I can't imagine them winning the league this season I mean it's still early on but Dortmund are on fire and unless they implode I don't see Bayern catching up uh, it's just there was some rumours of Luis Enrique as well I don't know how strong they were I can't imagine. I mean, yeah, there were rumors, but I mean, it's the same. I don't see why they would bring him in. He wasn't exactly successful at Roma. He was somewhat successful at, at Barcelona. He did okay at Barca. Yeah, but he what did okay at Barca. But I mean, why would he want to come to, in mid-season as well, to a country where he doesn't speak the language? I mean, that was one of the telltale points with, with um, Carlo Ancelotti. He stopped learning German. That was another thing. That was, that was when it became clear that he might be leaving the club is when he stopped taking German lessons, so that, that something was going on behind the scenes. Okay, well, Jupp Heynckes is in charge. He had his press conference today. What was he going to bring to the job? Stability, if anything. He knows the clubs. He knows the, he knows a lot of these players. They were there when he won the treble with them in 2013. Um, they respect him, uh, which is good for players like Ribéry and Robin, who you know like to be difficult. Other than that, I don't. He's not going to bring anything new with him, is he? Really, at the age of 72, and he's been he's been. In his, in his garden for the last four years. Uh, I don't see him bringing anything new to the club, new to the tactics. It'll be the same as it was back then, uh, which is structure. It will be decent training sessions. I mean, you, Thomas Muller said himself today that uh, he'll finally be training properly, which is, of course, something which Iron Robin complained about a couple of weeks ago, saying his his son's under-10 or under-11s team trained harder than, they, than the professionals did under Carlo Ancelotti. So I think a lot of the professionals are happy to have Rupankas back, but again, it's only for three quarters of a the season. There's bigger problems at Bayern Munich that need to be addressed. And Kupp Heinkes is definitely not the answer. I'm worried he's going to be out of touch. Three three or four years since he last took charge. It's a long time in football, that, isn't it? I mean, he's, the bit of the press conference that I saw, he sort of said, no, no, it's all right. I've been watching Real Madrid all this time and stuff like that. So I, I, I've, I've still got my finger on the pulse, but... It'd be interesting to see how it, how they look under him, I think. It's especially different because when he left the game, he was retiring as opposed to leaving the game and being sacked and then mm. waiting to get another job. He retired. Uh, so you just have a different view to life and different view to your job. So he's gonna he's, he will have missed out on a lot over mm. the past three and a half years. Yeah. Four years. Four years. 
And he's been talking to his dog in the garden, you tell me. Yeah, that's something she said in the press conference when he, when he, when he was d- deciding whether or not he should uh, join, return to buy. And he asked his wife and his daughter. They both said yes. And when his dog barked twice, he knew that the decision was the right one. <laughs> Which, By the way, think, his dog outranks his wife and his daughter in that relationship somehow. But like, I think it also put, you know, it's a state of mind that he's in if he's listening to his dog. <laughs> but that's just me. That's just you. <laughs> uh, so he's here till the end of the season. Mm-hmm. First game in charge on Saturday. Uh, after that, we've talked about Nagel's man taking over. We all seem pretty sure he's going to take over, but there was talks of Klopp as well. Okay, I, I, to be honest with you, I'd prefer to see Klopp if they get Klopp in. Nagelsmann is still too young. Nagelsmann's been in the game for not even two years. He's managed to save Hoffenheim from relegation. He's got them into Europe, but now he's got to try and figure out how to get the Hoffenheim team to do well in Europe and the league at the same time because that's the same requirements he's going to need at Bayern Munich. And he's yes, it would be... Interesting to see him at Bayern Munich, but I mean, we're talking again. We're talking about these players who have huge egos. Granted, I think Ribéry and Robin will be gone next summer, so he won't have to deal with them. But I'm not sure if he can win over a dressing room as a 31 year old that he will be then, and be able to tell them what to do. Managed to do it at Hertha, but I guess not. I mean, it's Hoffenheim. not on the, or Hoffenheim. Sorry, yes, but not on the same level. It's I not guess. the same level. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about footballers who aren't necessarily even Europa League caliber footballers. Uh, some are good, yes, but none of them are world class and don't have an ego the size of a, a small country. These people, the players of Bayern Munich, have been there, done that, and won just about everything. Mm. And they know that they're good. Whereas Nagelsmann has a lot to prove. Klopp, on the other hand, I think would be able to, if he comes to Bayern. Although I'm not sure if that would work because because of his history with Dortmund. But we've seen different. We've seen, you know, we've seen managers join different teams. At least he'll be able to win over the dressing room and tell them to, you know, where their place is. Okay. We have a question in from, I say a, a listener, but it's Daniel Cadena Jordan. Hey. Friend of the pod. Uh, he asks, with Heinke's girl and duo back on the bench and Barnes struggling with physical form these past few months, could Muller-Wolfhardt come back, happen? If he does, it won't have anything to do with Heinke. Should you explain who Muller-Wolfhardt oh, yeah, is that, for, the start, for people who might not know? Hans Wilhelm Muller-Wolfhardt yeah. is his full name. <laughs> is, was Bayern's uh, doctor for 40 years until he left the club during Pep Guardiola's reign. They got into a bit of a tiff and had a bit of a dis- disagreement how the players should be treated. And where they should be treated. And where they should be treated, indeed. Yeah. Um, so he left in 2015. He has a practice in Munich. The man is 75, so I mean he's older than the three three guys on the bench and should probably also be thinking about retiring uh, or handing over his, his practice to his son. Um, if he comes back... It will have nothing to do with who's sitting on the bench. It has more to do with the club not being completely convinced by Foka Braun, the current doctors, uh, the current doctor at the club. Because let's put Manuel Neuer, for example, broke his foot last year against Real Madrid in the, in the Champions League, and uh, Foka Braun decided that they would the treatment should be non-invasive, so he wouldn't have surgery. And now Neuer came back in August, got injured again in September, again broken foot. So now, of course, the club are thinking, you know, our star players aren't fit they're not coming back fit they're not they're, they're, they're missing for long periods of time so the club isn't convinced so if he comes back it would have nothing to do with the coach it had more to do with the hierarchy and Sally Hassan Sami Sally Hamicic the, the, the sporting director he's a big fan of Munavolfarts and he would like to have him back and another factor is of course that still quite a few of the players including Robin um, are still being treated by him outside of the club rather than going to the club's doctor so there is there is a divide um, so it could indeed happen but on the other hand I think 
you know, he's 75. What's the point of bringing him back for, for two years? But as I said beforehand, Bayern have a lot of things they need to address. And it's not, it's the coach, it's the, it's the doctor. They need to revamp the whole club and stabilize for the long, for long term rather than bringing in short term solutions. A stark warning. The, the thing that I'm interested about Bayern is do you think that they've sort of fallen behind financially with the, the, the best, the bigger players in the world in recent the past couple of seasons and do you think that's something that they would need to sort of do something about and start actually spending some serious money not necessarily 220 million on players like Neymar and stuff like that but they, they sort of have this principle that they're not going to mm. get involved in all that sort of thing but I think they kind of have to do they not? The record buy is what Tolisso for 40 million? Exactly yeah. mm. and who's Tolisso? You know I mean 40 million used to get you world class players and now it just gets you a Tolisso Wouldn't even get you Kyle Walker See? Exactly, we get your car walker, and that's you're right. I think if Bayern wants to improve and become one of the greats in Europe, unless it's a fluke, I mean, I still think they could on a, they could win the Champions League, but the other teams have to do really badly. Um, but if Bayern wants to become one of the big teams in Europe again, they're gonna have to start investing money, and then it's not that they don't have it either, they, they do have huge amounts of funds which they can invest. Uh, into players, but the other thing which they need to that they need to address is um, their youth team system. Yeah, they've just built this n- new academy, um, but other than David Alaba, he was the last player to come through the youth team system wow. at the club, mm. who actually broke into the starting eleven. I mean, Kimmich came from Stuttgart. Um, he's a well, I consider him to be a future world club class player. He's not quite there yet, but he's definitely definitely on the way. But Bayern, if they want to succeed, they need to start investing money now (laughs) (laughs) okay that's all from us today my thanks to Dan, Nick and of course producer Damo we'll be back next week promise thanks for listening